0: We're going to be uh, taking a week out of uh, Matthew this week. So our primary passage we're going to look at is Acts chapter 14. Uh, if I'm just, you know, being honest with you this morning, when we set a date like I don't know, 9 or 10 weeks ago for Justin's installation service, I thought it would go a little bit differently than what it's going today. Uh, but at the same time, if we're being really honest with ourselves, we're, we're still not rough anyway. Uh, we have heat. Uh, we have, it's kind of interesting if, if you didn't know the history of the church. This is the original sanctuary that we're just in this morning. Uh, so this is my first time getting a preaching in the old church. So kind of, a, kind of a hidden blessing there. Uh, but we're going to take a week out of uh, Matthew um, we're taking a special emphasis this morning in installing Justin as our associate pastor. Um, like again, it's not not quite going to plan of what we thought about. Um, but the reason why we're doing this as a as a normal part of, of the church service, if you want to say, is because this is a really ought to be kind of a normal part of church life in the sense of uh, appointing leaders for the church is not necessarily something that we do. Uh, off in a back room, and then we come out and say, hey, we have we have a new pastor on staff. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is using three, mostly three, there's a few more than three, but mostly three uh, New Testament passages, I want to just look at a couple of fundamental questions, um, one of which is, what are pastors? Uh, who should pastor? And then what does that look like? Uh, because... Like I said, it's not it's not an abnormal thing. I think we all come into you this morning with some sense of what a pastor is or what he ought to be, uh, whether that's accurate within Scripture or not. Uh, if you talk to enough people, uh, if we if we hold the room and we said what what are the primary functions of the pastor, I we would probably be uh, on the same page for most of those. Um, but then there will be some that. Uh, you, you, honestly, you may have expectations of what a pastor is that I am totally unaware of, and I completely let you down. And Justin will be completely unaware of, and will completely let you down because, like, I didn't know that's what you expected a pastor to, do or to be. Uh, and so, what I want to do is, is in a very thirty thousand foot view, to just ask the question: What, you know, what, and why, and and uh, and who? Um, so Acts fourteen verses nineteen through twenty three is going to be our jumping off point. Uh, and it's, it's going to be kind of a weird spot because you probably thought I was going to take you initially to 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. That's, that's where we always talk about pastors. Uh, and we will touch base there just uh, briefly, but I want to start us in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23, uh, where we find Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas have been commissioned by. Uh, the church in Antioch of Syria, uh, to to go and take the gospel where it had not been before. And we get this picture, uh, they had been to, to multiple cities, uh, but in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, they're in a place called Lystra, and uh, Paul had previously preached at, at uh, Iconium, and now he's in Lystra, and, and just the first part of this, you go. Know, this is a really strange place to encourage a new pastor out of It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations with God and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We're going to kind of gloss over the fact that Paul just got stoned and left for dead. Uh, But again in the context of his first missionary journey he's going, he's sharing the gospel and then you notice that they come back to these first three cities for three purposes. The first one is to strengthen the souls of the disciples according to the gospel. So they're coming back to those who have received the gospel by faith, strengthening them. Secondly, they're encouraging them to continue in their faith, even amidst trouble, saying, with many uh, tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then the third thing that they did, and the reason why they circled back, is to appoint elders for them, these new disciples, in every church or in every city where they had been, where a church had been started. You think about it, so everywhere that they had been and they preached the gospel, there had previously not been disciples, and there had previously not been churches. And now when they circle back around, they want to strengthen the disciples, and then they're appointing elders for each church. With prayer and fasting, so an intentional aspect of it, not just a pragmatic question. But what often maybe come to our minds is why and what are who are these guys that they were appointing? Uh, where do they come from? What's interesting is that so that that phrase "elders" carries over into then those those classical passages that we think about First Timothy three, Titus chapter one. And we get a variety of names or a variety of titles for the same function in the New Testament. So we have elders, which are also the same as pastors, which are the same as overseers, which are the same as bishops. So uh, we, we, could, we could probably argue with people from other traditions saying, say, well, those are all very different things. Um, but the terms are interchangeable within the New Testament. They give kind of this broader picture of what a pastor or what an elder, what an overseer, what is it that they do? Uh, and so they're one of what we recognize in the New Testament. They're one of two offices of the local church. We have pastors/slash elders; they're same synonymous term, and we have deacons. Uh, so two offices, but this so this morning we're looking at the office of the pastor. Uh, and again, we're asking the question: What is it? And I, and I think First Peter chapter five is kind of a helpful place. In some senses, you know what in, the, in a broad sense, what is this? Because First Timothy three, Titus one will tell us who ought to do this. But in terms of what they are, why they are for the church, I think First Peter chapter five is a little bit closer to what we're looking at. And we'll also look at Ephesians chapter four. Just a this is Peter writing to churches, and he says, "So I exhort the elders, the pastors among you." And he goes on to say, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter uses, he, he encourages the pastors and the elders to do what? He says, to shepherd or steward God's people. You think about it, shepherd: a shepherd is a protector, they're a provider. Uh, they're a, a caregiver, they're a nurturer, they're, they're given to the, the health of the whole. right? Which is kind of an interesting thing because he also frames it as under the chief shepherd. So even pastors are, first and foremost, under a greater shepherd. They themselves are not the final authority for the church. Uh, and, and as soon as... I, or Justin, or any other pastor begins to believe that we are the final authority for God's church, you can imagine that church will off the rails. Because that the pastor is merely shepherding or stewarding us people. Not his people. Right? He doesn't say shepherd your people. He's shepherd God's people. Yes, Well, so first of all, can we just step back for a minute and go Holy crud! That is a huge responsibility. I don't know about you, but I remember uh, so a couple of phases in life where I had that oh no moment, where it's like that's a that's a lot. Um, one of which I thought I knew until it was probably like right after Jason and I exchanged vows, and like in the next few days, like I'm responsible for this person. Oh no! Like, not, not not in a bad way, but just like. I know that we exchange vows, but I'm responsible for their well-being. I'm responsible for her care. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for stewarding our relationship, like not to control her, but responsible for producing a atmosphere, a place at home to where she thrives. Like that. I don't know, husbands. That's that's a daunting second one. I remember we we had. Uh, Just got Isaiah from the hospital. We get into the car, we put it, he's in the car seat. We buckled him in, we put the car seat in the base, in the back of the car, and we turned to each other and went. Whoa. We're responsible for this kid. Parents, you remember that feeling? Like, no manual. Very little, like they just—they let you leave the hospital with this human being, or all of a sudden, it's like full sleep schedule—not full sleep schedule—but not, and you're not just over, overseeing or stewarding that life for a day. Right, you're cultivating and caretaking for that life for the rest of their life, for the rest of your life, and obviously that changes with the seasons. But to shepherd God's people, to steward God's people, um, I hope the gravity, Justin, of that is not lost on you. Uh, in the sense of every time we get ready to to meet with God's people, to share God's word with God's people, there is a oh man oh moment. Uh, I don't I don't get nervous in the same way that I used to about preaching but in terms of just. Uh, the the, the 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 actual process of like speaking, like that part's okay, but the holy awe thing is, God has entrusted us with His word to give and to teach and to instruct His people. That is a hefty, heavy, and and a, and a necessarily heavy responsibility. That's that's not just that's not just keeping. congregation that's not just making hospital visits i'm not saying that hospital visits are bad, but that's shepherding that stewarding god's word for god's people which still flows into the next thing so shepherding but teaching the word they they teach the word we're going to get into that in a few more minutes and we'll look at Titus chapter one really briefly but then you also notice that he is uh he encourages the elders to provide oversight or exercising oversight in verse 2. Um, and notice that they, they are to do that with the right motive. Not under obligation or not under compulsion, but willing from the heart uh, a, a response of joy to provide oversight, direction, keeping the church, God's people, on task to God's mission, God's purpose. Not just the purpose or the mission of the pastor. And then also, this extra, and the way that plays out is not in a domineering way, but through example. Providing example to God's people, how to live out faith in a screwed up world. We all agree the world is messy. The world is goofy. By God's grace, and, and, and please hear me on this, your pastors will fail you at some point in providing an example of what it looks like to live out perfect faith in the fallen world. We will fail. However, that doesn't excuse us from providing an example. So that also means when we fail, hopefully, you see, what, what does a Christian do when they fail in walking out a life of faith in the fallen world? So then, if we get just think about that's, that's broadly. Just some key takeaways if we put this together with Acts chapter 14. Notice that it says that, that Paul and Barnabas went back visiting every church, appointing elders for church. So some just key things that we would see as true of what pastors are in the New Testament is that, first of all, every church should have one. At least one. Which leads to the second thing. It's possible and probably often beneficial that there's more than one. So in the process, this even uh, so my kids, you know, and they're trying kind to of wrap their heads around, okay, Dad, you're a pastor, have Justin's gonna be pastor, it's like, what are you gonna do, Dad? Like, <laughs> like, I'm gonna continue to do the things that i do. Like, we're multiplying ministry in a sense of what we are to do. But so if you think about all the way to the Old Testament, when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and in and they're in the wilderness, and Moses is hearing all of the concerns of all of the people all the time. Right? And his father-in-law shows up and says, Moses, the thing you're doing, it's not, it's not a good thing. right? You ought, ought to have help, is basically what he says. Uh, and then, so Moses, what does he do? He finds qualified men and, and puts them in places of helping shared, direction and oversight among the church. We can also see that it's probable and, and, and uh, likely that churches are to have more than one pastor or more than one elder Or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, which again is kind of a a roundabout way of looking at this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Paul in some way is talking about how uh, pastors and elders ought to be cared for by the church, right? And compensation, things like that. We talked about that when we went through 1 and 2 Timothy. But notice what he says is, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, he says this. well, that means that there's, there are very very well, maybe, pastors that don't primarily teach and preach, and yet, 1 Timothy 3.2, one of the qualifications is that they must be able to. Right? And so, within the context of the church, you might have one pastor who, who carries more of the load of preaching and teaching. It doesn't make the other pastors not have less pastors. It just means that their function within the body is slightly different, and yet when we walk through what are they to do, you see that there's a lot of things that don't happen or that do happen within the life of the church that doesn't happen within the hour that we are together on a Sunday morning. So, often if you think of the pastor and what he does, the first thing you probably think of is that he's the guy who preaches. Could be, right? Like that's a function because he ought to be able to teach, but not all necessarily do that all the time, or that's the primary thing to do within the body. And then in Titus. 1, 9, this is highlighting this ability to teach or the requirement of teaching. When Paul relays to Titus in Titus 1, verse 9, he says he, talking about the pastor who is qualified, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Notice this. So he has to buy conviction. like He has to hold the conviction to God's word as taught so that, there's a purpose in this, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So he ought to be able to, he has to hold to God's word so that he can teach right doctrine and correct wrong doctrine. Like right? So one of the functions of a pastor within the church or pastors within the church is preserving right gospel, right scriptural teaching for the body. Uh, that's one of the primary things that we ought to do. So then the, the, the who should, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna belabor too much on the who should pastor but in first timothy chapter 3 and titus 1 you can find the qualifications for uh for pastors so paul lays it out for timothy he lays it out for titus two of the guys that he has left in different places to appoint pastors to appoint others in churches he gives them a list of things that they ought to look for when you think back in acts chapter 14 he returned back to places that they had just made disciples. And from those contexts, he appointed elders. So they were appointing pastors or they were appointing elders from within the local body of believers. Which again, this might cut across what we often think about who pastors are or where they come from. We might default to say pastors come from seminaries. I will said seminaries. They, they might come from Bible schools. Like those things can teach skills and functions, but that doesn't really, they're not really creating, they're not factories for pastors. Local churches are factories for pastors. And what's interesting about First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 is that everything that Paul lays out outside of the ability to teach, their character. Their character qualifications, they're not skill or competency qualifications. He doesn't say you have to be able to handle the budget. Like, but if they're able to manage their household well and they're not greedy for a dishonest game, they're going to be honest with budget, right? Or things like that. They're things that will carry over. But they're, they're concerned with character over competency and skill, which I think means that there's a, an underlying assumption that skills are teachable and learnable. But character, you you don't teach somebody character. You, you I can I can give you by I mean my kids the ability to, to write cursive, it doesn't change anything about their heart towards what they're writing. Right? So so the, the, the character qualifications uh, are laid out in the church in First Timothy chapter three and Titus. Some of the things that, that uh, stick out as notable within that is uh, when examining somebody when you view a past world or an older leadership within the church, one of the first places you look is the home. What does their house look like? How does their marriage look like? How do they treat their wife? How do they treat their kids? Uh, are, they, are, they, are they violent? Are they brawlers? Or are they gentle? Are they hospitable? Are they, are they uh, thought well of by people outside of the church? Like Those are all practical concerns, but they're driven out of the character requirements that Paul lays out for Timothy and for Titus. So the character flows out of who he is in Christ. So look for character first. But then you know are the skills teachable or are they wonderful. If they're not, or if, first of all, if the character's not there, it's disqualified. Then the next set of things doesn't even matter. If he's, if he's not, it doesn't matter how quick of a learner he is. It doesn't matter how charismatic of a personality he is. None of those things matter, right, if, if the character is not there. If his faith in Christ is not producing observable fruit in his life. So, the question why is it necessary or good to have pastors? Every church ought to have one well on multiples. uh, We have an idea of who they should be. Why is it necessary or good to have any? Um, besides the fact that it's the word God says so in his word. Right? That's a pretty good start. But I want to, um, maybe if I could just sum up uh, why, why it is necessary to have a pastor. Maybe a little bit simple. Um, but I want to say, I'm going to split this into three areas, but one big idea. It's good and necessary to have pastors in order to maintain the unity of the church. You know, that doesn't seem like the primary thing that, that, that Paul or the New Testament is laying out. But I want to give you the three areas that I see this play out in and how is unity, really, of the church is unity, first and foremost, in the Lord. So the first one is uh, to maintain unity of the church, maintaining doctrine of unity among God's people. So back to Titus chapter 1, verse 9, teaching right doctrine, correcting wrong doctrine. Without unity in what we believe, we will not be a church for very long. We will drift off into our own preferences, our own teaching, our own sideways avenues. In order to maintain unity of God's people, doctrinal unity is is one of the first avenues. Doctrinal unity, and I added a point here that I don't want to forget, maintaining doctrinal unity without compromise, Convictionally holding to God's word, what is right and what is wrong, according to God's word, and not caving off of it one way or to the other. But maintaining unity for God's people doctrinally uh, may at times feel like a violation of the third thing of the But The second one is maintaining unity of the church is maintaining unity through purpose. So doctrinal unity produces purpose unity. Shepherding the flock under the chief shepherd, uh, the purpose of which is to present every member of the body mature in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, you get a picture of like Paul is talking about, the gifted, various gifts within the church He talks about pastors and elders as part of this. Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, notice this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, So the purpose of the church is to present every member mature in the Lord. It also means bringing the lost into a right relationship with the Lord and then equipping them right into the fullness of the stature that who Jesus is. So we maintain uh, the unity of the church as we promote the purpose for which Jesus has given his church. And we keep the church on track with this purpose, again, on our own. And then I mentioned that doctrinal unity without compromise might seem like a violation of the last the last one is maintaining unity as a church through relational unity. Remember that in the character qualifications, pastors are marked by humility, hospitality, gentleness. like those things foster relational unity within the church. However, there are seasons of life. I wish I wish I could say that they would never happen, but unfortunately they do. Where doctrinal unity or doctrinal fidelity, truth of God's word, or correcting false doctrines, will seem to violate relational unity. Because relational unity would say the relationship at all costs. Right? And, and what I'm saying is it's not the relationship at all costs. It's the relationship in the Lord, on a right foundation in the Lord, at all costs. Following people to that right walk with the Lord. There will be times... Where some will say, I, I can't be in agreement with you. And you have a choice relational unity, doctrinal unity. And we can only go so far together as doctrinal values. But that doesn't take out the speaking truth and love, as Ephesians 415 uh, four, 15 points out. So that's a, that's a fire hose of pastors. I want to give, uh, as, as we kind of wrap this. Portion of three charges in a sense to you. Justin, and three charges to you. Actually, four charges to you, the church. You get an extra one. So, Justin, if I could encourage you uh, with just wow, my vast, you know, resources of knowledge, you know, uh, with the word, regardless of ministry activities, goals, or outcomes, ministry is people. The uh, ministry is people. Um, I normally don't say this to the church as a whole, but just take this with humor. I don't mean this to um, Ministry, would be really easy, if it wasn't for people. <laughs> I don't we, we would pay on ministry if it wasn't for people, but there wouldn't be no ministry without people. Um, and it's not just it's not just uh, people at large. If you think about 1 Peter chapter 5, it's a specific thing. It says, shepherd the flock among you. Uh, you're part of them. It's, it's the people at, at LHC. That's incorporating lost people into this specific people of your faith in Christ. Um, But the the task of ministry as a pastor is is people, and that task is this people. Uh, It's not just just every people everywhere. God, by his wisdom, has allowed us to pastor this people at OBC. So, if that is true, the very first thing I'm encouraging you to keep in front of you all the time is love God's people. Which sounds, that sounds, it's been by our but, uh, but love them because, and, and this might seem backwards to you, but love them first because they belong to Jesus, not they to you. Uh, when, when inevitably frustrations arise, remember who they belong to. Uh, they're not frustrating your purposes, we are shepherding them in God's purposes. Uh, Along the way, or the whole way, just a, 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 another reminder, people are the mission. They're not just pieces toward the mission. Uh, we all are the mission of, of, of the pastor. Um, you're, you're, his, you're, his, you're his field. Uh, he's cultivating and working you, right? Uh, but not for his own purposes, but for the purpose of the the Second one, I wish this one wasn't true. But it is um, ministry is often lonely and it's often frustrating. Uh, so in the midst of that, thing Jesus. He's uh, faithful, but He will also, by His grace, He will take you beyond your abilities and beyond your comfort level. Uh, he will take you to where you will feel like you're drowning, in and so that's, that's a good thing when we learn to come to the with ourselves and learn to rest fully in Him. Because apart from Him, we really don't have a chance. But it's only when we get taken beyond our comfort level that we realize that. And the last one, uh, the is, I, I maybe I'll add one more the last one. So, I said that doctrinal truth is clean as his word. Um, what you don't have anything to offer God's people apart from Jesus and what his worth. Like, yeah. we don't have innovativeness, we don't have creativity enough to, to meet this great spirit changing of people that need his word, they need the chief shepherd And then there. And the last one would just be uh, very simply your first ministry of your family. It's literally in the requirements of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Titus chapter 1 uh, that we, we look at that you, we look at your marriage, we look at your family, uh, and how you care for your family's requirement for ministry. Uh, more than define defining work-life balance uh, you're going to choose to your family Uh, and so uh, church don't take the strong way but so in the hierarchy of things you're going to choose Jesus first you're going to choose Jesus and other family right Uh, but don't choose the church or the ministry of the other family there's a differentiation between choosing Jesus and choosing the church and choosing Learning to navigate in that discomfort of uh, sometimes I say no to the church, but it's not saying no to Jesus. Um, and it's saying yes to a better thing, which is within the spiritual families. Um, there are always, and I say this to you and I say it to myself, but to you, there are always other pastors, that our families don't have other things and they don't have other guests. Maybe one of you. Uh, the church, uh, not what they're looking to, but but if we get hit by a bus tomorrow, the church will move forward, and we'll hire the a new pastor. There will be a hole, but they won't ask real long. If we get hit by a bus tomorrow, that hole in our family stays a whole lot longer in the personal church. So keep that in mind. Uh, and now of the overflow of, of your walk with the Lord, your walk with the family, the pastor of the church. So to the church... Uh, as we walk through this, the task of the pastor is, equip, is to equip you to be mature in Christ. I, that's, that's his job. That's my job is to present you mature in Christ. So, for charge, just reminder: this might seem sound. I think it's a good reminder for all of us. He doesn't exist for your preferences. He doesn't exist for what you would like the church to look like. According to your preferences, Uh, a lot of times we can make church about us, Uh, and it's subtle, but we can make it about us. We can make it about our preferences. We can make it about what we want to see, what to, what we want to experience, what we want to see, what we want to, what we want to to do, right? Um, And and it's not about that. It doesn't exist to meet. Your need of preference. He does exist, and God has gifted him to, to equip you, to come alongside of you, to minister to you. But be careful that you keep preference and equipping in the right categories. That, if I can encourage you, be aware of, of where your preference lines are. A lot of times we don't even think about it. We say this is what church is, this is what a pastor does. And without knowing what we might be, laying out our preferences as those doctrinal requirements of church and pastor. Uh, so come back to our, uh, an understanding of who he is according to the word. The second one is, kind of, you handle that. Uh, his curriculum is God's word. So uh, his curriculum isn't his agenda, it's not your agenda. Hold him to that and encourage him in that. Right? Encourage him in teaching the word. Encourage him to hold to right doctrine and encourage him when he corrects wrong doctrine, even when it doesn't feel good. But hold him to that. I remember, uh, Candy's not here today, um, Candy Smith, but I remember, I, I don't, we've been up here a year and a half, and I, I actually went home I told Jason, I said, I think Candy just told me the most encouraging thing that I've ever heard as a pastor. And, and I, I, I won't say it verbatim, um, probably because I'll mess it up. But Candy basically um, she had just said she had shared her appreciation for me as her pastors and followed that up with, but if you ever stop teaching God's word, I won't really have like it'll be it might be hard, but I won't have a hard time helping me get God. <laughs> right? I mean like, and it wasn't ugly. You guys know Candy. But as a pastor, can you know, I catch it? But like when it's not ugly, right? It wasn't ugly. Can I tell you what a huge blessing that is to know that God's people value God's word over my comfort? You know how much freedom that gives me when I I step into the pulpit knowing that God's word demands or God's people are demanding God's word and not to have their ears changed? Because there are times when I come to the word and and, and, and you prepare and you go, man, this is gonna hurt. This hurt me this week just just reading it. It's gonna hurt a little bit. But to know that God's people value. Hearing from God's word above hearing what they want to hear is a huge blessing. So encourage him in that. Third thing, love him and love his family. Uh, Again, huge blessing to know that your family is loved by the people that are equipping to serve in ministry. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not a set-apart class of Christians. He is is gifted and he is set-apart for ministry. But he's still a brother in Christ. Uh, she's still a sister in Christ. Their kids are still brothers in Christ. Uh, there's still a family deeply in need of the grace of Jesus every day. There are individuals that are deeply in need of the grace of Jesus every day. There are people desperately in need of God's people to love them and care for them. Uh, having said that, they will disappoint you. They're people. If I haven't disappointed you yet, we just don't know each other well. I'll disappoint you. I mean, it can be as simple as a thing is like, I really didn't want to meet in the fellowship hall today. you not okay. Why do you make that decision? I'll disappoint you. Uh, they'll disappoint you. Love them anyway. Continue to love them. Continue to show them the grace and love the love of Jesus. And then the last one if, if their task, if his task, if my task is to pastor you, to equip you to be mature in Christ, for the love of all that is in right, be shepherdable. Be equipable, Be faithful, be available, be teachable. We're sending them on a full there, and we said your job was to help equip the, the saints for the work of ministry, and then we send them to people who go, I'm not doing that. you can do is as little to change your heart as you can to change this. So when you come to the table, when you you come to the ministry setting, be shepherdable, be equipable. Uh, Recognize why he's been given as a gift to the church. Uh, Not just to pull you out of your comfort zone, not just to whatever, but to help bring you to maturity in Christ. Now, again, that that falls back up to like hold in to to do it according to the word, but be shepherdable.
1: And one of the things that I
0: heard uh, in a study similar to this, uh, the first time I, I was embarking in pastoral ministry, a uh, pastor who was fifty years older than me uh, encouraged the congregation with kind of a, uh, a, a stark reality, maybe. Uh, and this is a pastor will always—I mean, I think he'll remember every church he serves in, but he'll always remember his first place of service and ministry. Always remember it. So as a church. Let's endeavor to make them good members. memories. will remember you forever, good or bad. Uh, I can tell you the great things from my first church. I can show you the stars from the first church. Let's love and take care of them. Embracing the good gift that God has given us people. Uh, let's be shepherdable. Let's be equipable. Let's be teachable. Let's be faithful, um, but more so—not just to pastors. Recognizing that we have a chief shepherd whom we all he's the one for whom we are most living for.